Talking About Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and the Doors. You know, the cold winter months are here, and this is where your windows need to be on their game. And this is where energy efficiency is really important. Keeping your home energy efficient keeps you and your family cozy while saving on energy bills, which is huge during the winter months, and your windows are vital in this fight. Pella uses low E glass to reflect heat back in your home and to prevent conduction, which is the warm air in your house flowing outside. Pella Windows uses double pane glass with insulating gas like argon in between the panes to keep the warm inside and the cold outside. Find out more by contacting your Local Pella Omaha and Lincoln expert today, or go online to PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob podcast is powered by Runza. If you want a great gift idea for the holidays, how about the gift of Runza? Go to RunzaShop.com. It is your home for all the best Runza shirts, socks, hats, stickers, koozies, baby gear, and more. You can even buy Runza sandwiches and have them shipped Anywhere in the U.S. Talk about a happy holidays. Runza shipped to your door. Oh, boy. It's an incredible gift. So give the gift of Runza this holiday season. Go to RunzaShop.com. That's RunzaShop.com. Runza makes it all better, especially the holidays. All right, online now, Dirk Chatlin, Omaha World Herald. I always tell people I got that that Dirk alarm in my mind every handful of months. I got to bring this guy on. Dirk, do you realize the last time we talked was after the Oklahoma game where Nebraska almost won in Norman? Certainly a, a, a lot has transpired since that point. It's pretty amazing to think about where things have uh, have have fallen to. But yeah, last time we talked, it was like, hey, man, pretty encouraging loss at Oklahoma. <laughs> you, you never know. They get this thing going. Yeah, Nebraska has since lost like uh, seven games by less than seven points. So it's uh, they they had a full season after the Oklahoma game. I know, I know. I, I they, had a, they had a full decade after the Oklahoma game. You ain't lying. You, I mean, there's it's it's, it's been it's each week. It's been just like the the most crazy stuff that you've seen a million times, but still are shocked that that it happens again. I. Well, I, I want to. There's a lot to get to here. I want to start with this. I want to back up and talk about Trev's decision to to retain Frost for another year because I, I've actually appreciated Trev Albert's honesty with what he kind of said in the moment, basically saying, "Hey, listen, man, there isn't any empirical data that suggests that this is going to work." I can I can appreciate that level of honesty, and then also saying, "Yeah, loyalty and who he is matters," and because I also think like to fire or move on from Frost. It has to be crystal clear and obvious to everyone. And I think one more year of Frost allows that picture to get crystal clear, maybe. But it also keeps the door open for Frost to kind of get this thing headed in the right direction. I, I don't know. I, for me, I, I understand the decision. I guess where where do you, now that, now that we've been about, gosh, like almost a month removed, maybe a little over a month, do you feel any differently about it? How do you feel about it now that the plan is somewhat in motion? Well, the worst case scenario for Nebraska, uh, the thing that would have done even further irreparable damage was firing Scott Frost before the fan base was ready. And I think it was really important to avoid that. Yep. So it doesn't cost them that much to wait another year, to give him another chance. Um, some people will argue that they'll say, you know, every year it, it, it slumps even lower or sinks even lower. But, but the reality is Nebraska has been on this track now for a very long time. And uh, it would have done further damage to alienate a significant portion of the fan base by firing Scott Frost before they were ready to see him go. So I think it was really smart. Uh, I think um, it was not only smart to, to bring him back, uh, politically, but I think it was also smart to make it publicly aware that basically, uh, you know, he, he enters next year on the hot seat. I think, you know, it was important to be transparent with fans about that. Um, so if, and when a decision needs to be made next year, there won't be any controversy about it, or there shouldn't be much controversy. Now, if Nebraska goes six and six <laughs> or seven that. and five, yeah. I mean, we might be back in the same spot. Right. But it's important, I think, to to get it on the record 
that uh, that Frost was, you know, was very close to being cut loose this fall and, and probably deserved it under any other circumstance, right. probably deserved it. Um, I think it's interesting how Nebraska is zagging, you know, while everyone else is zigging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're seeing so many schools make make coaching changes right now. And I think generally speaking, uh, you do want to be going the other way, you know, um, if it just puts you in a better position in the market, I think, uh, where you're not competing against 15 other schools. So I'm not saying that that was a decisive factor, but I think as it played out, Nebraska was probably wise, was probably looked wiser, you know, even, even now than it did at the time based on what everybody else was doing. Um, that said, you know, Scott Frost has got a, He's uh, if he's at the casino, you know, he's got to go on a run right now because he's <laughs> he, he's short stacked, right? Yes, he is. And uh, I think he's got to get all these hires right. I think he's got to get his quarterback right. Um, I think he's got to find a way to keep his own guys out of the transfer portal while bringing in a bunch of other guys. You know, maybe ten or fifteen uh, trans- transfers from around the country who can really help. It's uh, a lot of things have to go very right for Nebraska in the next six months. Do you think, and, and you kind of you kind of went there with the, the, these this whole like agreed upon metrics and that that aren't being disclosed and in in the contract for next year, and and then even the fact that you you know hey Trev basically kind of admits hey Frost enters this next season on the hot seat, but what do you think that really looks like though? Because you brought up that six and six seven and five thing. Like I subscribe to the school of thought, and again. The great variable is always what it looks like. Because if you'd have told me Nebraska was going to go three and nine this year, I'd have bet my life that everybody would have been fired. But it was a unique three and nine. I personally subscribe <laughs> to the school of thought that six and six, seven and five, Scott Frost is coming back for year six. What? What do you think? Like what? If you if we do got to kind of dig into that a little bit of like well what does that look like what 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 is that hot seat and getting off the hot seat record and season look like next year? Well, I think if they improve by three or four wins, you know, it's probably going to be evidence that it's going in the right direction. Um, you know, it's it's going to be more challenging if it's if it's four and eight, five and seven, six and six, you know, and they're losing they're losing to Illinois and Minnesota again. Um, so, you know, it's, you always have to sort of assess it by, by how it plays out. And I don't know if you can necessarily put a number on what, okay. what next year needs to look like. But, um, but I think it's, you know, it, again, it it would have been very easy for, to, for Trevor Alberts. I, I want to, you know, I, we need to scrutinize Trev Alberts, uh, his decision-making and, and next year we might be doing that more closely, but I, I do want to praise, praise how he went about this because yeah. I think it would have been easy for him to, to bring Scott back and basically just list all the things that Scott was doing well and to, to sort of excuse the things that he wasn't doing well. And I think by, by acknowledging what wasn't going well, um, by sort of, you know, setting the stage for what, you know, Frost has to do better next year. I just think that honesty and transparency uh, is really helpful, you know, and I think, I think it comes back to Albert's being, uh, having a lot of institutional knowledge, you know, knowing the lay of the land. I don't know if an external, you know, a guy who came in from the outside would have been, would have trusted the fan base enough or have earned the trust from the fan base enough to, to sort of be honest with everybody like that. Um, so I think, you know, Nebraska has an AD, I think right now, who's, who's making pretty good decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the question is, you know, can he, cause I think he thinks he can, I think Trev thinks he can help Scott in a way that, that sort of cleans up a lot of, a, a lot of the messes, a lot of the systemic problems. And uh, I think, you know, that starts with finding an offensive coordinator, who has a little bit more experience, uh, who's got, you know, more of a track record and, and a philosophy that's, that's distinct from Scott's. Um, and I think, you know, one of the, one of the critical questions of this off season is, is can Frost make that transition from, from being a guy who really thinks, you know, 
thinks on a on a detail by detail basis during a game, can he transition into being, you know, being more of a of a CEO of a program? Uh, that's going to be really hard to do. But I think I think in a lot of ways that is the critical issue yeah. uh, of this entire offseason. Because if Scott, if he can, if he can make that transition, I think a lot of the the, the messes inside the program can get cleaned up. You know, I think a lot, I think some of the player development issues, I think, you know, the special teams issues, um, just a lot of the things that you keep coming back to and saying, why is Nebraska not better at that? Uh, I think if Frost can, can sort of become a CEO, um, you know, it empowers him to tackle some of those issues, but it's going to also require him to step away from the things that he's really cared about. Um, which, you know, starts with that offensive playbook. So it's, it's going to be really challenging. Uh, but I think they're at least, in my opinion, uh, assessing the right problems right now or right. trying to. I feel like they should have done this, you know, a year ago or two years ago. Uh, it would have put them in much better position to make change because right now they're just, you know, to use another metaphor, they're just, they're kind of behind the eight ball. I mean, they've, they can't stumble again. You know, time is not on their side. And um, I think, you know, a year ago or two years ago, had they made these same changes, you know, they would have been in, they would have had a little bit more freedom to to stumble and, and struggle a little bit. Right now, they've basically got to succeed right away. How do you feel? I mean, I don't think you and I aren't Sam McEwen and, and diving into like pit film and UMass film and, and, and all those kinds of things. I mean, outside of watching a few Kenny Pickett highlights, like I didn't really, I, I'm not going to be disingenuous and turn on the mic and act like I know specifically how great Mark Whipple is. I see the numbers and see what he did. And I think, you know, on a, on a surface level, I think it's, it's, he, he's, he's a decent hire. And I guess a couple of things within that, then I'll, I'll, I'll pass the ball to you. I never really bought into this notion that Frost was going to do a 180 and become Iowa or Wisconsin on offense in one season. I just, I didn't, I, I didn't see that as a realistic kind of way of this playing out so so the the philosophical hire of who they brought in doesn't surprise me but it feels like this is going to be a passing heavy offense and somewhat doubling down on that element of it which is always interesting in the Big Ten and the Big Ten West and then you couple that with getting Mickey Joseph with like what does Mickey Joseph do he's he's been able to bring in talented skill position guys so I guess Putting all that in a pot and mixing it up, how do you feel about what the, the at least initially the offensive direction now with Whipple at the helm? Well, it's it's probably a better hire than I thought they were going to get. Um, Agree. And and some of that is probably because of the salary that they were able to offer. Uh, let's be honest, mm-hmm. but but I think. Um, you know, Whipple is going to be able to sell and Frost is going to be able to sell uh, Kenny Pickett as as you know, this is the model for what we can do with a quarterback. Uh, they'll be able to sell even Adrian Martinez to some degree. I think, you know, look at the numbers that Adrian put up. Uh, they, they might not show all of the highlights, but they can show the good highlights. And, um, you know, I think it gives them a chance in this transfer portal to to get one of the best you know, five transfer quarterbacks in the country. And I think that's what they need. You know, so much of this is wait and see dependent on, on who the starting quarterback is next yeah. year. You know, if it's, um, you know, if it's Logan Smothers, it's a very different situation than, than if they bring in a guy who, you know, threw for, for 3000 yards last year somewhere. So um, I think, I think some of the, some of the reluctance to really, and to really kind of commit to what this offense is going to look like is, is just to, you have to see who the quarterback's going to be. Um, but, you know, I agree with you, Nick, that, that it doesn't appear that they are going to go Minnesota. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're, you know, they want to maintain some, some identity in the big 10 West, uh, which, which needs to be sort of a hybrid of what they were when they first came in and what you see at Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. And, and that, if you're going to do that, you got to have uh, you got to have better skill players than than most of the other schools in the division, and um, and you got to have an offensive line that really that really kind of holds up. And they haven't had that. 
I think if they can figure out the O-line, you know, that, that at least gives them a fighting chance next year. So it's, uh, again, a lot of things have to develop. They've got to, they've got to keep the guys, you know, who they feel good about. That, that's the thing that I keep waiting for, right? Is it's like, I really thought that Nebraska might have a mass exodus um, into the portal. Right. And, and, not, and not just third and fourth stringers, but, but guys who started games, you know, and maybe that still happens. Um, but, you know, if they can figure out a way to, to bring back all the guys that they want to keep and, uh, and add a quarterback they feel good about and, uh, you know, sort of, sort of hit on a couple offensive linemen, you know, they, they've got a chance, you know, and it's the, yes, they went three and nine, but I don't count them out entirely. I mean, it's, I think you'd be foolish to count them out entirely because, uh, you know, playing, playing Michigan and Iowa and Ohio state, the way they did, mm-hmm. uh, that, that signals that there is something, something in there to work with. And if Nebraska can, can sort of keep the, the good ingredients, um, you know, I think they really have a chance next year. You know, and, and I want to get into a, kind of a, a, a little bit of an in-depth conversation on Adrian Martinez, but doesn't it kind of feel like, because this is kind of bleeds into that, it doesn't it kind of feel like for Frost to come back, and I don't think this was necessarily discussed, but I think it's something that everyone kind of felt. For Frost to come back, I think everyone is like, okay, come on back for, for another year, but can we please see what this looks like with a different quarterback and a full-time special teams coach? Like, I really feel like people just want to see what all this could, how this all could unfold with those two things looking and and being different. So I'm not surprised that I thought Adrian Martinez would, would, would move on. And now the interesting thing is, like, I kind of feel like Scott Frost has to hire a, a full-time special teams coach. Yeah, it, it really does feel like a, um, you know, I don't want to get too deep into the family metaphors here, but it's, it's like the marriage that, uh, you know, before we call this off, can you, can you at least quit your job? You know, can (laughs) you just, can you get a different job and we we can try that? Or can we, you know, can we do something different with our kid? Uh, it's just, it is sort of an intermediate step, right? It's like before the breakup with frost, uh, and you could almost, I think you could almost imagine Trev Albert saying this, right? Yeah. Is it's like, uh, can you just try this with somebody else? Can you try it with a different quarterback? It's clearly not working. Uh, it wasn't working two years ago, Nick. Right. I mean, you know, do you remember 2019 mm-hmm. and how, how poorly that went for Adrian and how every, every opportunity Scott had to, to sort of veer off and try something else. And he just doubled down on Adrian Martinez and, um, you know, I, this is not about who's right and who's wrong, but, but the reality is, um, the, 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 the smoke signals were up for a long time that this was not, not working out and, and statistical evidence, you know, would tell you that he's the most prolific quarterback in the, in the school's history, but, but the on-field results were always, always more suspect and more complicated than that. And, um, and I think, you know, Frost made a mistake. He made a mistake going as far as he did with Adrian Martinez. And, and it's, it was important, you know, to, to recruit better, to provide more options at quarterback. Uh, and then ultimately I think, you know, he probably should have, should have, uh, separated before, before this point. And, and you're right. I think it would have felt had they fired Scott Frost at this point, um, I, I'm not saying it, what, it wouldn't have been justified. Mm-hmm. I think you could have justified it. But there always would have been a what if, right? There always would have been a what if, you know, like what, you know, what if the quarterback situation would have been different? What if they would have recruited an alternative? And at least now you are going to see that part play out. That part of the equation is is going to be answered. Right. And the special teams thing too. Like, and that's why I think – in some ways, I almost feel like from a PR standpoint, whether you agree with it or not, if you're Frost, like, I think in some ways you have no choice, you know, like, like I am, I, I, like someone getting caught in a public scandal and being like, I am going to enter rehab, like Scott Frost has to enter special teams rehab publicly for people. Yep. Like, I, so I also think there's that, like this, 
man, I just look like what you said. I wonder what this would have looked like with a different quarterback. And then there's also like, man, I wonder what this would look like if they had just a competent special teams unit and have someone dedicated, not splitting jobs with someone like dedicated to it. So, but here's the problem though, is I don't know how they make that work with the staff either. Like there's 10, like you start doing the numbers and if they hire a full-time special teams coordinator, either someone's either one of the coaches got to go, someone's got to take on two positions. Like I'm also curious to see what that ends up looking like, but I think he almost has to do it. Nick Scott Frost knows enough football. Um, what I would do in his situation, and I will admit that this is uh, influenced a little bit by a long conversation that I had with Frank Beamer about two months ago. Uh, but what I would do based on how bad they are and based obviously on the fact that it has not been a priority is if I were Scott Frost, I would take it myself. Mm-hmm. I would say, I would say I'm going to be special teams coordinator. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dedicate a lot of my time to these specific units. I'm going to free up my assistant coaches to focus on their position groups. Um, but we are going to get this fixed. And I think that, I think it would do a lot of things. Um, you know, I think it would, uh, it would obviously emphasize special teams, I think it would get more buy-in from the players if he was doing it rather than somebody else. Uh, I just think it it has a lot of benefits to it, and it's so bad. It's so bad that I think that's the best answer. I think that's a better answer than bringing in somebody from the outside. I don't expect that he'll do that because there's a lot of other things on his plate, and he's obviously got to get a bunch of other stuff corrected. But he's going from being the offensive coordinator, and he's shedding that tag going into next year. Right. And I think he could – uh Right. I think he could make a statement to his program right. uh, if he said, I'm going to run special teams instead. Can, can he do that? Because I, I think that's actually, in some ways, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things that point to that being the right move to make. Can you, it seems like you could do that and still do that CEO, gravitate towards the CEO thing, right? You could do both. Could yes, you, you yeah. could because um, it, it, it allows you to, to, to work directly with players, which I think works well, you know, with the CEO part of it. Um, and you're not just working with the star players, you know, you're often working with the second and third teamers. So I think it, it builds buy-in across the roster. Um, I just think it's, it's bad enough where that's the best solution rather than bringing in somebody from the outside or appointing someone who was an analyst last year. Um, you know, and Scott Frost knows special teams. I mean, he was a special teamer in the NFL. I, yeah. I think he could, he could do it credibly. So again, I don't expect that that's going to happen, but I think that would be the most, uh, you know, the biggest statement that he could make to his team that this is going to get fixed. The Dick Bob podcast is powered by Runza. You know, life is about great combinations. Jay-Z and Beyonce, me and Dana Altman, Dre and Snoop, Adrian Martinez and Austin Allen. Great combinations make life better. And the legendary combination of chili and cinnamon rolls is back at Runza. Runza's homemade chili with real ingredients combined with the sweet deliciousness of cinnamon rolls. It just doesn't get any better than that combination right there. As a lifelong Nebraskan, I've grown up having chili and cinnamon rolls. So it's it's a way of life for me, man. And Runza's chili and cinnamon rolls really symbolize the fall football season. And as that weather starts to get a little chilly, you know it's time to go get some chili and cinnamon rolls from Runza. Nothing better than on a cool fall day having a nice warm cup of chili from Runza. Mm, mm, mm. This legendary combination is only available for a limited time, so you know what you need to do. You need to get out to Runza today and get your homemade chili and cinnamon rolls game right. Runza makes it all better. So you you brought up Martinez, uh, and you went into it a little bit about how the smoke signals were there for for this being not working. And I, again, we've talked about this, but I vividly remember you and I doing an in person podcast at the at uh, in Omaha heading into the 2019 season, and you were the first person I had talked to that wasn't chugging the Adrian Martinez Kool-Aid. And I was like, I, I was struck by that. I was like, wow. And then I, that always stuck with me because you, I don't know, in some ways you maybe have more clarity on sizing up the career of Adrian Martinez than, than others do. I've always had a hard time because I felt like, man, he's the handpicked guy by the guy that was the hottest offensive coach in, in 
the country. He did have a lot of the he did check a lot of the boxes initially of like a good quarterback, but then the results were what they what they were. I guess when now that the the book is officially written on Adrian Martinez, I feel like you out of everybody I know probably have the easiest time writing that book because you never chugged the Kool-Aid out the gates. Well, that may be true, Nick, but I thought I thought after I don't know, Northwestern, you know, I think I think specifically about the first of October, I thought Adrian had turned the corner. So, so let me be on the record say saying that that uh, that I really thought he had made dramatic strides, you know, the first half of the season, and then he kind of backtracked. But, uh, but you're right. I, I think I was more skeptical up front just because looking back at that freshman year, um, if you really go through it there wasn't a lot of high pressure football that freshman year, right. you know, Nebraska was, was really bad. The first six games, um, they had kind of a breakout game against Minnesota. Bethune Cookman was, you know, what it was. There was a, a nine to six blizzard game against Michigan state where obviously the offense didn't play well. There just wasn't a lot of like, I didn't see a lot of evidence that, that, you know, of, of high leverage football, mm-hmm. um, where I think you really have to judge quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, the other part is everybody, you know, almost everybody in college football has a signal caller who is, who is making five or 10 really impressive plays every game. Um, I mean, you go down the, just the statistical list. I mean, the, um, you know, Northwestern, you know, Peyton Ramsey, he, he was a 10,000 yard guy at, 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 um, at Northwestern. You know, um, and or no, not Peyton Ramsey. Who's the Northwestern guy? Clayton oh, Thorson. Clayton Thorson. Have, yes, yes, Thorson. Yeah, he was a he was a ten thousand yard total yardage guy. Um, and so the point is, like, it's a little bit like the NFL, where where if you have a quarterback, you know, who's who's worth much, uh, he's doing some amazing things every right. Sunday. He's right. making some amazing throws and. And what, where you really separate the the good ones from the great ones, uh, the Mackenzie Miltons from the Adrian Martinez's, is is what they do, you know, in in those specific high leverage situations or the little plays or the little mistakes, uh, and that was the stuff that that just never looked quite right with Adrian. Um, and and obviously there were some complicating factors. Sure. He didn't have a great supporting cast. You know, he got injured in 2019. Um, there were a lot of things that, that could have gone better. And I think might've been, he might've been a better quarterback. Um, but, but it just, it never, it never felt quite right. Even when the hype was what it was. And I think, I think if you look back honestly at it, a lot of it was just based on hype. You know, it, it was the fact that Scott was coming off, you know, 13 and 0, it was Tom Osborne, you know, saying what he did about Adrian. It was Scott talking about Patrick Mahomes. I mean, right. it was there was just a lot of hype in that first 12 months, really leading all the way up to about September, you know, the Colorado game, essentially, of 2019. So, um, you know, I don't take any joy in in being more skeptical of Adrian. But, but to me, it was like a lot of things during these last four years. Uh, the, there was a little bit more hype than there was substance. I, I am – I'm a little hypocritical in that, and I've had these conversations with you, I'll turn on the mic and I'll question the talent level on Nebraska's roster, but then I'll get really nervous about the talent level exiting the program next year. Like, think about it. Nebraska has to go into the portal and find players or have dudes on the roster currently that are as good as and probably need to be better than Cam Taylor-Britt, Damian Daniels, Austin Allen, JoJo Doman, Adrian Martinez, Dismuke, Deontay Williams. Like, just go on and on and on. That's And potentially Cam Jurgens, depending on what his decision is. It's just kind of weird how I talk out of both sides of my mouth. I'm like, oh, these guys aren't good enough. But then all of a sudden I'm like, boy, oh, boy. There's a lot of there's a lot of production walking out the door right now, Dirk. Nick, if you if you had to name the ten best players on Nebraska's roster uh, in 2021, they're probably losing conservatively eight, yeah, seven at least, right? Um, so so yes, it's it's significant, but I think a lot of the names that you mentioned 
we're we're defensive guys yep. and and if if we're you've done a good job with this and and you and Bo have done a good job with this you know you really do have to analyze this program um really in two separate categories it's it's defensive development versus really everything else um and i think a lot of the names that you mentioned were defensive guys and and that does concern you i think you know it's no given that nebraska is going to be as good as they were defensively uh next year and in fact i think it's unlikely that they will be as good as they they were uh defensively and that gives you a cause for for concern because um you know they were in a lot of these games because the defense played as well as they did so um you know you have to look at every season a little bit differently right i mean nebraska has a very good chance next year of getting off to a good start i mean you know they, they could be uh you know, they could, they could even beat Oklahoma. Oh, I mean, no Oklahoma's question. got a lot of uncertainty. Yes. You know, that, that Memorial Stadium, if, if Nebraska's 3-0 and next year when Oklahoma comes to town, I mean, Memorial Stadium is going to be is going to be wild. And, and that, you know, you got a chance. You're, you're going against a first-time head coach, and Oklahoma's going to be rebuilding in some ways. So there's a scenario in which Nebraska gets off to a very good start, um, you know, similar to what you saw at – at Iowa this year or Minnesota a couple of years ago or Northwestern a year ago. And, and, you know, you get to the first of October and you're like, wow, these guys are better than the sum of their parts. Right. Right. Uh, there, there is a scenario where that happens. Um, but, but I think again, it's going to, ha- it's going to take a lot of things going right. And, and a big part of that is they've got to get, <laughs> they got to get the offense and the special teams figured out if they're going to take a step back on defense. And I think it's, it's probably fair to assume that they will. Uh, they've got to be that much better in those other two right. phases. If, if you – last football thing, and then we'll get to some hoops and get you out of here. If we both agree, obviously, that quarterback is the most important position to hit on in terms of who they're going to bring in, what's the next most important position to you? Well, Nick, I've almost given up hope that they can find a running back. I mean, it's, it's almost <laughs> like – you know what I mean? It's like – and I'm not trying to dog Ramir Johnson, who who, who no, had a good year. No, he's fine. I mean, come on, let's be real. That he's fine. But but he... man, you you look around college football at some of the guys that are out there, and you're just like, why can't Nebraska find a guy like that? I mean, it's that position group has been a it's been a disaster. You know, um, the the continuity the the stories you hear behind the scenes about guys not practicing and guys wanting out and guys, you know, transferring. I mean, it's just been a disaster at running back and combine that with an offensive line. That's been very leaky and, and Nebraska, you know, no wonder they're struggling the way they are on yeah. offense. Uh, no wonder Adrian Martinez, you know, felt like he had to make every play under the sun in order to give him a chance. So, um, you know, I think the obvious answer is is if they could find a tailback out there, but I think that's very unlikely in this cycle. I mean, I think they're going to have to come back basically with what they have. Um, you know, if if Nebraska could find a pass rusher, I think defensively, you know, that's been the right. that's been the the sore subject for many many years. But but I think defensively, you know, you got to give Eric Chenander a little bit of correct, a little bit of uh you know, trust and, and just assume that he's going to figure out a way to, to, to make them respectable. Um, offensively, you know, they got to find a, they got to find some help. They got to find, they got to get lucky, frankly, Nick. I mean, they just do. There's everybody in the country is competing for these same top 15, 20, 25 guys in the portal. Um, and, and somehow Nebraska has got to persuade and develop uh, one of these guys on very short notice. You know, it's amazing. I'm just like you know. I'm having a hard time remembering like Fordham's running back and Buffalo's running back and you know I, Northwestern's running back. But I, I don't know. You could make a case that did Nebraska play a single team this year that you thought they had the better running back? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, I I guess it, at least it wasn't glaring. Like I remember, I thought Fordham's running back actually was like, and maybe it's because I set my expectation of like if Fordham's running back. This guy can't be great, but like I don't know. I guess, but but what are we talking about? I mean, this is in some ways the first position you think of when you think of Nebraska football. The first couple, one of them is you think it's been. I mean, it has been running back. You, I mean, well, it has been. 
Nick, it's been running back you in part because it's been offensive line you. Right. Too. So you put those two problems together. Uh, I mean, you've probably seen the same data I have about the performance of Nebraska's offensive tackles this year. I mean, it's Yikes. you look at you look at the at the real prestigious positions historically in in the history of the program, and those are the worst position groups on the roster. Uh, and it's it's just bizarre. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be hard to fix those problems in one year. Um, I think it's going to be hard to find those types of guys in the portal. You know, I haven't done a lot of I haven't done a lot of uh, research into this, but I can't imagine that there's a ton of offensive linemen who go into the portal and make a big difference yeah, right away at a right, new school. Right. Um, so I think it's you know they're going to have to sort of count on a new old line coach yeah. um, teaching it a different way, right? And, and find a find a way to sort of make it work next year uh, in a in a division in a conference that's really hard to to get by with, with uh, subpar offensive line play. So, um, you know, we, we talk about Nebraska's identity next year and what are they going to do and what are their run, run pass splits. Part of that is going to be influenced by, by the running back and offensive line position. Right. And, and I think, um, you know, if they're throwing the ball more next year, it might simply be, be because that's where, uh, that's where the majority of their talent is. Okay, let's let's we'll wrap this up with talking a little Nebraska basketball. I mean, oh boy, it's uh, you talk about a rough start. What are they five and six now? And you know, for me, like, sure, would would making threes mask a lot of issues? Sure. Is Alonzo Verge the perfect point guard to run a team? Probably not. Uh, do they lack size? Obviously, yes. All those things aside, to me, when I turn. From the moment I've started watching this team play, the the thing that pops off the screen to me the most is this team's defensive ability in terms of want to and fight and competitiveness is is a little bit jarring. And so I would say as much as people want to talk about the size and the threes and all that stuff, like I would almost say, like, if Hoiberg were to go, Nick, what do you think the number one issue is? I would say, man, before – sure, it helped to have better shooters on stuff, but, like, the, they got to get some some competitive fight toughness things corrected in a hurry or a, not a lot's going to change in some ways. Nick, I've been chomping at the bit. Uh, we spent 25 minutes on, on football. Uh, this is where my, my heart has been the last week. Okay, go uh, ahead. And, and Let I've it rip. I've talked to so many people who are, who are just as disgusted as I am. Um, you know, it really kind of hit home. It, the, the, the seed was planted with Western Illinois and Creighton. Um, it germinated with, with North Carolina State. Uh, it is the, the disgust is in full bloom after Michigan and Auburn. And I've talked to so many people who say this is the worst, the hardest Nebraska basketball team they've ever watched. And, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, they're just soft. The word you're looking for is soft. They are, they, they, they run away from contact. Um, they, they look like they don't want any part of a 50, 50 ball. Their their two worst defensive players are their two best offensive players, or at least most talented offensive players, Verge and Bryce McGowan's, which sets a horrible precedent for the rest of your team. Uh, there's so many little plays that they screw up, whether it's, you know, not uh, in transition defense, you know, it's Verge not running back uh, and allowing an Auburn player to run right in front of him and get an easy tip in. Uh, it's Bryce McGowan's, you know, not grabbing a, a rebound that he could have grabbed. Um, they don't make teams uncomfortable. They don't push player, you know, opponents off their spot. Michigan got any shot that they wanted. Auburn could drive to the basket anytime that they wanted. Uh, they just, I cannot believe how bad they are defensively and how soft they are defensively. And you combine that with, with selfish, uh, poor shot selection, and it's just an impossible team to watch despite all their quote unquote talent. Um, and I, and I, and I put it on the coaching staff that has failed to make these guys accountable. Uh, you know, for, for whatever reason, 
when when Alonzo Verge, you know, let's let somebody drive by or Bryce McGowan's, you know, gives up an offensive rebound. There's no accountability from the bench. There's there's never anybody that gets pulled out of a game or sat down for three minutes, you know, or goes, you know, Fred never goes, you know, Roy Williams where he pulls five guys and puts in the walk ons for five minutes just to shake somebody up. Um, it's just embarrassing. It is it is terrible coaching. Um, it's, it's terrible, uh, roster composition. It's, it's clearly, uh, an assistant coach, you know, and Matt Ab- Abdel Nassi that, that sort of put this thing together in sort of a fantasy, fantasy basketball style way, uh, without thinking about how the parts go together. And Fred Hoiberg just gives players way too much freedom and independence to make their own decisions with so little accountability and responsibility. Um, and it, it looks like watching a damn AAU team, Nick. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it's, I don't know how they're going to make it through the next three months. I mean, I think you're going to have, it was one thing to watch Nebraska basketball when they, when they were 15 and 18 and they were, you know, they were subpar in talent. Uh, and, and they were, you know, they would have died for an NBA draft pick. This is a different situation. Um, they have guys who can play and they just, they just don't, they just, they, they don't take the coaching or the coaching isn't getting through. Um, and, and what you have is, is a roster and a team that, that is under, uh, underperforming as bad as any Nebraska team that I've seen in 30 years. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go onto Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. The, the you don't th- have to say that, Nick. I'm happy to say that. No, I know. I mean, I, I, no, I, and, and, and I'm not. I'm not trying to make it sound like that's a that's going out on a limb. I mean, no, that's what I, everybody that I talk to is saying. Right. I mean, there's just there's not even any disputing that stuff. That's the crazy part. Is it's December 14th, and and nobody is even arguing those points, right? It's like what the hell happened to this to this whole thing? I mean, Fred Hoiberg was supposed to be the best thing that ever happened in Nebraska basketball. I was the I was the leader of the Fred Hoiberg fan club, Nick. I was a I was like waving pom-poms uh all the way back in like 2013, 14, 15 when he was at Iowa State. I thought he was going to be the next Steve Kerr. I thought he was going to, you know, be I thought he was going to win NBA championships and here he falls into Nebraska's lap and it's like holy cow they finally are going to be a big time basketball school and look at where they are two and a half years later they're they're worse than they've ever been and and if this keeps up for another couple of weeks i don't think they're going to be able to keep fred hoiberg the whole season i think they're going to have to make a change mid season that's how bad it is right now well i just I, the thing that was jarring to me in watching you know you watch the michigan game and even fred said it after the game he said we had no fight i've never been a part of a team that he basically said they quit they stopped competing in the game so and i get they you know they had you know breidenbach got hurt and they apparently were dealing with a flu bug and all those sorts of things but i don't know i'm not really trying to hear that. so so you know what nick put sam hoiberg on the court right i guess that's you know yeah like i'm watching i'm watching the the auburn game and verge threw an around the back pass that got that got picked off when they were down like 28 so verge drove in the lane tried to throw an around the back pass to walker they're down like almost 30 and then they get it and go dunk it and to me, that's like you gotta. He's gotta come out. Like Verge has to come out there because you, you again, you there. There has to be consequences for some of this stuff. And I think the hard thing is like the reality is Fred Hoiberg's an offensive-minded guy, and it's an offensive-minded program. And when that's the case, and you hear Fred talk about this, if you just r- listen to him, they prioritize confidence. And I think they're caught in this weird spot of like we. 
We don't want to crush this team's confidence by telling them, you know, hey, listen, your deficiencies are so glaring in this area, this area, and this area that we got to almost, we got to, we, we got to cut you down to make you understand just how hard you have to play just to hang in there in worrying that they're then going to create a, a an, an, an offensive group that isn't confident at all. Does that make sense? Like I, Nick, I it's, it's AAU coaching. That's what freaking AAU coaches do, right? Is it's like making shots. The confidence of making shots is a totally different category than coaching defense. It's, it's different right, than coaching right. effort and coaching rebounding than coaching the ability to step in and take a charge or grab a 50, 50 ball. I mean, I would, I would freaking just play 60 minutes of, of Villanova highlights or Wichita state highlights, you know, for these guys and just show them like play by play. This is the physical effort that is necessary to play major division one college basketball. And then I would contrast that with a play of Bryce McGowan's just letting it, an offensive player drive by all the way to the basket in which Bryce doesn't even touch him. And I would say, this is where you are. This is where you need to be. If you're not at that state effort wise, then you can't play period. Like, Effort is not making shots. You you can keep someone confident offensively and still get on them defensively. And it's like, you know, bad coaches will let the little stuff go uh, and, and they'll sort of focus on the good. Great coaches, you know, focus on the things that you're not doing well and, and they try to bring up those deficiencies to the rest of your game. And it's like Nebraska's got it all in reverse. And, and that's the part that I don't understand. Like Fred Hoiberg, I mean, good grief, Nick. This guy has been around some high-level basketball, right? Like, how the hell do you watch what you're watching defensively and let that stand? How is Doc Sadler one of the best, you know, defensive coaches probably in the last 20 years in this part of the country? How does he let this stuff stand? It's just it's mind-boggling that Nebraska can, can allow their best two players, their most talented two players, Alonzo Verge and Bryce McGowan's to make the plays that they do defensively uh, and, and to, to not have any consequences for it. Right. Yeah. I, you know, because you know, what's interesting, like coach Altman and I'm not lying when he would, now he was notorious for being repetitive as we found, as we found out over the years with, with sayings and things, but you know, before, uh, honestly, before almost every game, and it didn't matter if we had Nate Funk, Anthony Tolliver and a preseason top 25 heading it like, we had real players, right? He he would give us this line before every game. He would say, fellas, you don't want to turn this into a beauty contest, fellas. You're not going to like the results. If you turn this into just a running and jumping contest, you're not going to like the results. You better make this a fight. And we would take that to heart. And, I, and the thing is, I don't remember that impacting our confidence offensively. You know what I mean? Like, because like you pointed out, those two things can be separate conversations. And like from I'm courtside this last Saturday watching Arizona and Illinois. And I mean, Dirk, that was a he- that is that those were two teams going at it. I'm talking every loose ball, four dudes cracking their each other's skulls going for it. And I'm just like, man, this is like if you, this is what it takes like this is this is what it takes if you want to win consistently at the highest level so i know people get caught up in like the roster makeup of threes and this and that it's like to me the most glaring thing is still goes back to just like effort right now no fred hoiberg and again god dang it nick i love fred hoiberg i mean i i have just admired this guy for over the years i made excuses for him in chicago i said you know, get him some players. Don't give him Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade. You know, it's, I mean, I, I've, I love this guy. I've, I've loved this guy for ever since he started coaching. I, I admired the heck out of his Iowa state teams and the way they played, but he, he's so apparently fixated on the analytical part of this, right? It's like, where's, you know, where are we getting our shots? And, um, you know, it's like, no, this is like all the little stuff. It's like all the little plays, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I watch a game where I can I can point out, and I guarantee a Fred Hoiberg and, and Doc Sadler can point out, uh, you know, a, a player on the court who's who's uh, who's deliberately avoiding contact. <laughs> it's like this is Division One major college basketball. Like this is a freaking 
it's a contact sport. And Nebraska is like, they're so soft. They're so weak. I would love to know the average bench press of Nebraska's rotation player versus, you know, a player <laughs> at, at, uh, you know, Michigan or Illinois or Arizona. Uh, they just, the, the roster composition stinks, but more than that, it's just, it's the, it's the, the effort, it's the little plays, it's all the things that you have to do at this level that you don't have to do in AAU. And it's like they're stuck in this AAU model where it's like, how many points can I get? Well, they got a lot of guys on that roster who can score 20, but they give up 30. And, and when you put enough of those guys together, uh, you're going to lose by 30. Yeah, I just... I just hope, and hopefully this week here they'll find it, you know, because you know I actually have the game on Sunday, Nebraska and Kansas State, and I just I just want them to find that gritty side of themselves and go down swinging. And if you get beat by 20, 25, whatever, like, but at least go down swinging and and standing in the ring like Rocky and in against fill in the blank opponent where he's getting bloodied up, but like he, there's. Just you know what I mean? Like I just want to see them just once, like really let it rip and and just just fire back and swing and go. If you're gonna go down, go down with that. It's what I want to see. The problem is Nick, and and I I always I always sort of marvel at this with NBA coaches. You know, they're always they always talk about how you can't just flip the switch in the playoffs, right? The, right. the habits that you build are built over eighty games, eighty games, right? Uh, Nebraska can't flip the switch. I mean, there's just the habits that they have defensively. Uh, there's no correcting that. And it's, you know, it's to use a football parallel. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, all the false starts and turnovers and things, silly things that Nebraska does on offense and the special teams mistakes. You don't just flip a switch and say, okay, we're going to start trying and we're going to fix that. Right. It's like those habits are ingrained. And I think, again, it starts with your best players. When those best players are not setting the proper tone when it comes to effort, uh, when they're not taking charges, when when they're not getting on the floor, when they're not rotating on defense, when they're not hustling to close out on shooters, um, it affects everybody else. And I think they they've gone too far. This is not something that you just fix on December 14th. This is stuff that you have to you know, fix on September 14th. Right. Well, we'll see what, what ends up happening. Dirk Chatlin, I kept you way longer than I, I told you would in our text message exchange. You know I appreciate your insight, your time. Uh, great stuff, as always. Have a have a, a, a Merry Christmas. Uh, all the best to you, to, to you and your fam, and we'll catch up soon, Dirk. All right, pal? Nick, so when are we doing part B where we break down uh, Lexi Rodriguez and Lindsey Krause? I know. And, and, okay. I, I, I thought I did all my prep for volleyball, and you didn't ask a single volleyball question. Well, I did. I did watch. I I got to my to my hotel on Saturday night. I turned on the volleyball match. It man, it's hard to not like get into what you're seeing with that group, man. I mean, no goodness kidding. gracious, they they have they exemplify everything you want, right? Like literally everything you want. In, in a team, they got it. Yep, there's a there's a model on campus, and everybody else just kind of follow needs to follow their lead. No doubt about it. Shouts out to John Cook. Dirk, hey, thank you, pal. All right, talk to you soon, Nick. A Huda Media Production.